HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Elizabeth Thacker-Jones of the Food Book Fair, coming to Brooklyn from May 4th through the 6th of this year. It's only a few weeks away. You ready? I'm, we're ready. It's two weeks and three days. Oh, so you have like one of those calendars with circles and X's and... Pretty much, yeah. we do, yeah. <laughs> the Food Book Fair... I'm sure it has plenty of influences per its impetus, um, but where did you start thinking about food? Where did you grow up, and what were you eating? What were you cooking? Sure. Um, I grew up in Westchester County in a small suburban town called Scarsdale. And <laughs> You say that like it's like this quaint little... I'm from Croton. Okay, so when yes, someone well, says Westchester to me, I know Westchester. <laughs> yes, it's incredibly... Um, incredibly bucolic but also very suburban very boring and serene but safe yes very safe um and i grew up as sort of a microwave chef i i got really um kind of fancy with my microwave pizza oh yeah and elios um a lot of elios a lot of like pizza bagels um my parents were you know working and um not really cooking for us so um, I soon discovered uh, the joy of cooking when I was in high school Um, my older sister worked at um, a well-known restaurant in Tribeca called Chanterelle um, and she was there for about 10 years and I had this um, epiphany when I I actually went and got to experience the food there and I was in high school so I was incredibly young and it was sort of this Um, You know, she was an actress and um, working, you know, very, very crazy long hours um, at this 
this gorgeous um, restaurant where the food was so much the center of um, and the taste was so much the center of attention in this space and you know in in the very like sort of bleak warehouse um, area in Tribeca yeah but and it was so overtly influenced by art as well which is kind of a, a amazing convergence and for this show um, but food though stood you know kind of alone in that restaurant as, as his focal point had so many amazing outside influences definitely especially the menu design every week they had a different artist yeah who put you know the the gorgeous menu together based on the inspiration of the food maybe it was maybe it wasn't yeah um but they had artists that dined there as well um and they were part of that community yeah yeah. So, I mean, that was absolutely an eye-opening thing, eating at Chanterelle. It was. It was absolutely eye-opening. And then um, I started cooking at home for my family. And real- I learned very later on that my um, grandfather was a farmer um, who grew up in Missouri. And um, so my mom sort of grew up on a farm, but she didn't really share that information readily um, for some reason, I think, there are many reasons why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I ended up going to Oberlin College after um, I graduated, and I ended up cooking in a co-op, um, which was, that was in 1998. And it was a vegan co-op that had a non-honey option to every meal. So <laughs> we were cooking for about 250 people. Um, and that was really where I was exposed to um, different types of vegetables different types of grains i mean we there was no refined sugar and this is like 1998 which you know is sort of um a a formative time i think when people were thinking about um veganism as a way that you could incorporate it into your intro life here and there um or it could be a way of life yeah so i mean it was when food and kind of activism were were co-aligning a little bit more or becoming a voice becoming a voice yeah definitely at Oberlin you know having 250 people in a co-op that were were talking about you know pickles and um, strawberries and sort of the history of those products and how they had become I actually remember a group so I say pickles because there was a group of students that made a paper mache pickle (laughs) and took it across campus and um, they're protesting the um the practices of the Vlasic at the time. So um, putting, you know, connecting those dots of, of, yeah, true activism, but also the taste was really important. At the end of the day, we would spend, you know, 10 hours sometimes prepping for our meals just for, you know, Monday night dinner. Yeah. Knowing that we we had this challenge ahead of us. (laughs) So what gave you the chops to be able to cook then? I mean, uh, you you got your first kind of cooking job at an experimental space called the kitchen when you were what, like 19 years old mm-hmm. yeah so that was it was really my experience in the co-op at Oberlin and then um working at the kitchen which is the performance art space on um, 19th street in Chelsea that has really nothing to do with food um <laughs> I, I think I've often gone to the website think oh this is going to be perfect for some kind of like food art event and then yeah it, it, it's Right, but but it also they you know they care about food and they're yeah. using the kitchen as a metaphor. Yeah, um, and so to have someone who is there cooking for um, the lunches for the summer program that was really focused on experimental music and um, dance and and um, really amazing 
uh, teachers like Philip Glass and Meredith Monk. Um, and I sort of sort of knew who they were, but I was also just sort of wanted to make really delicious food again. And, yeah. um, you know, they, they set it up so that the staff at the kitchen could, could actually get, um, you know, get a meal from what I was making for the artist. And by the end of that week, it was just like, there was a line of the staff people and, <laughs> um, you know, I had to make sure there was enough food for them. And it was also a way for me to make a couple extra dollars. too. Yeah. So I was psyched. Um, what, so, did, what did Philip Glass once tell you about lentils? Oh, <laughs> he said I, I made the best lentils he'd ever had. Yeah. Did he tell you that with three some odd minutes of silence or something of <laughs> terrible reference? <laughs> but cooking for these people that, you know, were, were creative probably made you more creative. Um, how did you start rethinking food? Was it just sustenance or was it something more than that? Um, it was definitely always something more, um, and I think at Oberlin too, and I was studying art. So then again, you know, it was sort of, I was always, um, cooking to support my, um, my, what I hoped would be an art career. And, um, I ended up following the food all the way to um, California where I moved after college and I worked for a sustainable caviar company which was a total like wild story in itself um, that I was working on a sturgeon farm um, and we were raising these white sturgeon that were indigenous to Northern California and um, the Sacramento River Valley and I was then exposed to this sort of sustainable, properly um, marketed, sustainable food world that um, was then um, growing out of the Ferry Building and Quesa, and the caviar was sort of the super high-end product, and um, the way to communicate how um, these ideas of you know sustainable fish farming and um, you know taste and cuisine and all sort of in one big pot yeah um that was was sort of um the next um like intellectualizing that experience to try to understand our our the the fisheries which is gigantic i mean that's sort of not that's not where i i don't consider myself an expert in at all which i think is part of the how the book fairs come about yeah. too is like having these little like in and outs of um micro immersions in very unique settings with very unique artists and practitioners who spend you know their lives i mean academics especially within our food studies program um you know there are several like fabio Pariscoli and um krishnandu ray and and mcbride all of whom are are scholars who are immersed in food studies and it's really their ideas um that were sort of then extrapolating and um, acting upon in real life in these situations that are very often entrepreneurial, you know, their businesses at the yeah. end of the day. So, you, well, it's also surrounding yourself by uh, it's delegating. It's surrounding yourself by experts. Um, and when you were sturgeon farming, I mean, I'm not going to gloss over that. The guy's name is Sar. Uh, you know, it's Sar Nikolai Caviar, um, and and you went there because that was an expert in the field. I mean, how, how did you initially get hooked up with a job like that? Was it just Felicity? Sure. Um, I actually was working in publishing. So that's, that was, um, it was for a travel book, um, called the guest informant. And it was the first book, 
under the Bible in the hotel room. So first book that before, you know, Lonely Planet before the internet. Yeah. Um, the concierge at the, you know, the concierge desk had a book and it was full of restaurant and museum and, you know, sites to recommendations, to, you know, to where to go in the city. And so that was where I ended up um, as I, again, one of these sort of, um, I, I was at Kinko's, I was printing out my resume, someone saw my resume on the computer and said, your resume fits yeah. this description. <laughs> so, and that's how it happened, honestly. Um, so the the woman that I worked for at the guest informant um, she was asked to go work for the caviar company, so I followed her. And she had spent time um, in in Paris in culinary school, and so she had this real interest in um, the burgeoning food movement and the chefs happening um, in San Francisco. So that's that's how it ended up. And I was there for a day, and I almost I almost left. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, raising a sturgeon, it's. It, in captivity, it's about 12 years before you can take the eggs, and that's the female, obviously. Um, in, in Out in the wild, it's about 15-plus years. So you can imagine this company has been around. They won a James Beard Award in the early 90s and only really had enough product, caviar, to um, to, to fulfill the market need after, like, 15 years of yeah, being in business. That's quite an investment. Yes, yes. And there was a, there's a great farm out in Idaho, actually, that um, I got to visit as I worked with the company. I became more involved in the science side of things, meaning compliance. So just making sure our ducks in a row were in a row with F, um, the uh, EPA and, and the Fish and Wildlife. Yeah. That was intense, and so not again, not necessarily um, <laughs> expected. But yeah, but learning all those logistics uh, help understand a business that much more. Oh, absolutely, and a lot of food businesses start that in you know they're very small and you wear many hats, and it's not just they start they like that's their whole trajectory yeah. is is playing all of those roles. And so when were you bike tour guide in Sonoma? <laughs> was that prior or was that after? Um, that was Need after. Some fresh air. That was after. Um, I actually continued continued um, doing a little bit of work with Tsar Nikolai Caviar and then decided, yes, it was time to build on my all this entrepreneurial energy <laughs> that was growing. And um, in 2004, that summer was um, just biking around Sonoma. We, we threw a sticker with our logo on a big white van and threw our bikes into the van and um, would go, we went around to these gorgeous biodynamic wineries. And that was just a very short season. That was um, right before I decided to um, move back east. So um, that, was, that was amazing. But again, uh, the... The market was also something that, you know, had to sort of bear this new idea. Um, And in France and overseas, biking while sipping wine through wine country is much more accepted. Everyone just likes going on that train in Sonoma, which actually leads to nowhere. Right. Back and forth and back and forth. So do you have favorite wineries in Sonoma still? 
I do. I have a good friend that works at Nall. Um, so I'm N-A-L-E. I'm a huge fan of Nall wines. They do a good, great Zin. Um, Preston is awesome. Bella, all in the Dry Creek Valley. They're all really high quality. So you're leaving the beautiful hyperclimates of California and coming back east. Uh, why? Um, I decided to go back to school. And I thought I would go to business school. And I took a break. Um, I, was, I spent some time in Maine where my family had relocated to Maine. And I worked in a bakery, an amazing bakery called Two Fat Cats in Portland. And I made pies. And it was heaven. <laughs> and I applied to business school. And then I had this epiphany where I decided... Actually, I needed to move back to New York City, where I thought I would never move, having grown up outside of New York City, and um, moved to Brooklyn. And then I worked for um, David Rockwell of the Rockwell Group. And I was who's an amazing architect who has done many restaurants too, yes. right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So that was really a perfect um, place for me to um, immerse myself in in Manhattan and um, the greater sort of that vibe I guess the buzz of Manhattan and living in Brooklyn but also the the restaurant scene which was becoming um, you know so important so important to um, the identity of Manhattan as a feeder for these chefs who were making names for themselves who were writing books Um, we the Rockwell group they sort of they built themselves around um, the W Hotel brand and um, the Nobu restaurants. By the time I was there, they were looking at doing a Nobu in Herzliya, just north of Tel Aviv. I mean, really like New York centric than brands that became international. And um, we were part of a strategy team that got to think about all of that and yeah. research <laughs> and read food blogs and you know the food trucks all the food trucks were were um were kind of picking up speed at that time and we did a lot of ideation like that word ideation and innovation and we had um what what they're what i'm sure they they probably still call themselves fungineers these <laughs> <laughs> guys who basically create use you know technology to create immersive experiences whether it be um how to look at a wine menu or just walk into a space and the the um atmosphere changes based upon your heat or where you're looking or where you're standing so really and you know david rockwell still does incredibly um large-scale projects and just beautiful very a, lo- a lot of attention towards um theatrics yeah so work. it's bringing interactivity back into uh what was i'm not i'm not saying flaccid but was a very um regimented industry for a long long time mm-hmm. and now there's a little bit more play in mm-hmm. restaurants uh personality mm-hmm. um and you see that as you said reflected maybe in cookbooks and in, in ventures outside of the restaurant mm-hmm. but to systematically uh, create something and uh, that be your identity or that be your projection. Um, you know, it, it was so standardized for so long. So David Rockwell was a real pioneer in how to, how to individualize restaurants and spaces and experiences. Um, so from there, mm-hmm. 
moving to the green market. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was just last year when you helped organize. Uh, what was that uh, pavilion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I left Rockwell and I started the food studies program at NYU, so I did end up going back to school. I'm still in the program. I'm yeah, finishing. Yeah, it's, it's everybody's Hotel California. You'll never get away. Right, I know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was then... Yeah, I guess Green Market was um, a very sort of almost temporary um, luck of the draw where they had this pavilion space on um, the north end of Union Square, which you you probably are familiar with. It's the limestone structure with the columns, and that will become a restaurant um, based upon you know the the sort of synergy with. Um, my background is being interested in all of these like matchups, I guess, like food and fill in the blank. <laughs> um, we, the space was open for programming. So it was with great honor that I got to bring in, um, I had a homesteading fair that was a convergence of people, um, making, um, making pickling food, but, and making jam, but also, um, sewing and quilting and they um just such a a a wide range of sort of the homesteading what what falls under that um umbrella and we also did a lot of work with columbia teachers college and the center for the food and the environment and um, they develop curriculum for for elementary school students to actually go into schools and um, teach food studies, which I call food studies. Yeah. You know, nutrition um, is sort of, uh, there's sort of a line in the sand, at least within the food studies and the nutrition program, um, where there are a lot of important nutritional issues that go into food studies, but there's a need for us to um, learn where our food comes from and also perhaps bring a historical and a a sense of place to the way we consume and and perhaps um, it so happens that nutrition um, can tag along (laughs) those ideas so um, they do they put it in an incredibly digestible fun and um, the the just Pam Cook, who is um, the head of the program, she has several books out and um, is a huge pioneer in um, farm-to-table education and um, school-guarded initiatives. So that was great to be able to work with their team. And we actually had a puppet show that was crafted in the 70s by the Center for Food and the Environment. They resurrected for the pavilion Digging up these relics. Yes. (laughs) So we're going to take a quick break and come back about, you know, where the impetus and ideation of the Food Book Fair came from through all those experiences. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back.
produce and sustainable seafood at Whole Foods Market. On April 22nd, Earth Day 2012, we'll be eliminating all red-rated species of wild-caught fish and seafood from our stores across the country. It's our way of supporting our oceans and helping to reverse trends in overfishing. Learn more at blueoceaninstitute.org and wholefoodsmarket.com. And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Elizabeth Thacker Jones of the Food Book Fair. You were just talking about your past a whole bunch and how, how this journey led you to a point where you said, hey, there needs to be a food book fair. Um, coming from the green market and putting together all these kind of, uh, you know, performances in the sense, you know, public spaces. Where did the fo- food book fair come from? Well, the Food Book Fair, actually, the first conversation was with the Green Market. And we realized that, um, or I realized, that the, there are farmers who have published books. Many of them have self-published books. And I believe there's five or six. And um, we thought, why don't we do a, a Green Market book yeah. fair in the pavilion? Um, and it didn't happen. Been, it didn't happen in that space. Um, mostly, you know, for varying, for, mostly because we couldn't sell anything out of the space. Um, every event had to be free. So um, then I just I talked about it with so many different people, and and the reaction was, you know, it's ambitious, but this hasn't happened yet. Really, yeah. is this not um, something that has happened in? Um, you know, in Brooklyn yet, or, you know, we realize there, there is a book fair in Paris. It's a, a cookbook fair. Um, there's also ISCP, which has a book fair. Um, I mean, elementary school, elementary school book fairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the food book sort of focusing in what is a food book? Is it a cookbook? Is it an academic book? Is it a memoir? Is it a journal? Um, there are so many different kinds of books that talk about food. And the idea was really about bringing those all into the same place and the authors who are writing them also. Um, to and the, and the readers. The readers who are looking to connect the dots. Um, you know, part of the... Going back to my career um, therapy session... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a lot of people are interested in food and are working in a, doing something around food, whether it's a personal project or um, a family project, but are also perhaps their career is in another discipline. Um, and that is really sort of the audience for the book fair in some ways. It's, it's industry, but it's also folks that want to learn a little bit more about the authors that perhaps cookbook writers are reading a lot of ideas a lot of voice and frame around cookbooks is often based on a set of values yeah and um and a set of aesthetics and there are many books out there that are are writing about 
those values. So it's not like farm to table just happened because it was pretty. Um, pickling didn't happen because it was nice to photograph a bottle being backlit. Um, th- there were institutions and ideas in place already. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we we definitely know that from yeah. you know from Rachel Carson and Silent Spring, um, and then you know we look at Michael Pollan and Food Inc, which are sort of the big ones if we're talking about food systems and sustainability. Um, but there are also other books that are written from the point of view of architects and designers. Um, there are also artists that are using food as a medium or talking about food in their artwork. Um, and it's, you know, it's not necessarily in the same, um, the, the framework can be totally different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, lucky enough to be on a panel with two of those who have been prior guests on this mm-hmm. show uh, um, Tattoo uh, Tan and uh, Jennifer Rubel who I didn't mm-hmm. know you were one of the nurses during her incubation <laughs> I was. Uh, performances mm-hmm. can you explain a little bit about that project and you, your role with her sure um, so I have worked with Jennifer for over two years as, um, as well, basically whatever she's needed I've, I've helped her with um, specifically relating to sourcing of material and um, getting sort of the nuts and bolts for a project so in that in that realm um, I got to actually perform within the piece which was kind of the ultimate yeah. <laughs> the ultimate form of participation within her work which is so um, incredibly prolific I think in um, once if and if and um, looking at the pictures but also if you have the the opportunity to experience her project it's it's really transformative so um, there was definitely a lot of conversation about that when I started working with her you know this idea of um, how eating and experiencing art can be extremely ephemeral and um, in that realm also um, somewhat elite in in some conversations because it's it happens and then it's gone and um, you know what is sort of the philosophy and feeling um, behind food as a discipline that deserves recognition on a higher level and that I believe the systems side is what sort of fuels the systems these those ideas those ideas that are grounded in um, environmental issues and sustainability and um, those sorts of things are what sort of help to um, build out the energy that we're feeling around food, feeling of these artists and these designers using it in innovative and you know wild ways. So the incubation project, I think, really tied in um, a lot of those ideas. In that, um, I was basically in a, a white box, and I was in what we called finally um, fondly was a yogurt nurse an inoculating inoculating yogurt yogurt nurse and that's a hell of a thing to put on a resume i know (laughs) yeah that that was pretty much the ultimate i said okay i have to do a book fair something really simple now but see um, that kind of mantra though did inform the book fair because i feel like a lot of the same values that jennifer has of interaction and you know informing people of some deeper meaning um is what the book fair is bringing to brooklyn uh, this may um I, I wanted to start going over some of the panels too because you were talking about 
how you're a food plus fill in the blank. Uh, all mm-hmm. these panels have that, you know, moniker. Um, mm-hmm. There's a food plus art plus medium. With, which is your panel. Which is my panel. If you want to <laughs> stop by and see me completely intimidated off a of radio and see why I hide in a little box behind Roberta's. Um, there's a food plus tech plus content. There's a food plus culture plus taste. Uh, there's a food plus cities, a food plus media plus movements, um, food plus cooking plus change, food plus lit plus magazines. But just to see that there there is something bigger than just food, you know, in this equation, um, that there are all, all, all these varying influences, but are bringing all these amazing people together in the same place to talk about overall uh, a very you know singular thing um how can we change how we look at food and how we interact with food um and i don't mean just like with sustenance but with sustainable you know ideas in our heads um mm-hmm. who, who do you have headlining this thing not to say that there yeah. are any one person you know well marion nestle is really the my favorite yeah um marion who has been a professor of mine and she's also um, written food politics and what to eat and she was one of the founders of the food studies program Um, I think it was 14 years ago now at NYU and um, she I feel like she is a must see for anybody who's interested in in deeper immersive learning about food culture and food systems, yeah, and both she, of those. She starts off the the whole thing she kicks on it off. that mm-hmm. Friday, May fourth. At what time? It's well, it's eight forty five. We're starting, so get there as close to eight forty five as you can. It's, it's worth waking it's up early for this it. one. It's worth it. So uh, people like Harold Miggy are also involved. Who's uh, you know legendary yeah, on yes. food and cooking has influenced not just the sciences, but the approach to how people think about technique and methodology. Um, Then you have some amazing uh, food plus experiments, food plus studies. Um, Who are some of the other people that you think people don't know already and should really uh, check in on? I think um, food plus cities, which is Sarah Rich and Nicola Twilley. Nicola writes a blog called Edible Geography. And Sarah and Nicola have been working together for several years. They had a what they call um, the Food Print Project, which ended up being an actual series of events. Um, I believe it was in um, 2010. It was in New York, and it traveled to Mexico City. They're um, putting one together for Los Angeles. And they're both really excellent writers who look at um, food science and and sort of urban planning. So um, really incredible emerging thoughts around our food system and and looking at cities. And the two of them, to have them both here and together, and Sarah has a book coming out called Urban Farms with Abrams. And she wrote and was significantly... Um, part of the world changing book that came out um i guess that was five years ago or so uh, i would say that's friday evening and that um should be a great one and that's also just the two of them whereas many other panels have four or five or six and some different people who will be talking more about themselves or you know more about their practices and their work individually and showing slides and i think um 
that is especially the art panel i think is um, for for those who are interested in food's relationship to art this has so so many heavy it's gonna be exciting um cooks plus books with daniel halpern of echo uh Mm -hmm. is someone i'm assuming talking as a publisher and talking about cookbooks in general Mm -hmm. um i mean being that this is a food book fair i'm not i'm not you know not talking about cookbooks but showing people that there's so much more to cookbooks than just the you know bound version that they have in their hands mm-hmm. um, well daniel halpern is actually so he f- started echo and um he that's an imprint of harper collins and he just came out with um echo just came out with april bloomfield's book and she's actually going to be joining him awesome along with jj good the, his her sorry her ghostwriter um so that should be a really interesting conversation, the three of them talking about um, ghostwriting and um, this sort of interest and discovery around how chefs have the time to sit down and write a memoir. Exactly. <laughs> and a cookbook, a hybridized book. So uh, there are books, but there's also foodieticals, which I, mm. I love that compound term. Um, and you have a dozen or so of those, but... You have books there, too, uh, for sale. Um, Mm -hmm. Over 100 titles, I'm assuming. About, yep, just about 100, yep. And how how is that format going to work? Or is it going to be like a little trailer that they park outside the school and you go during lunch? That would be great. (laughs) Um, We are doing this in the same event space at the Wythe Hotel. We'll be clearing out some of the chairs and old school, you know, U-shaped um, tables and each foodie article, each journal, periodical, or magazine will have a table, and they'll just talk up their stuff. Yeah. And uh, some of them, I you know, Wilder Quarterly is one I I hadn't heard of until recently. They're Brooklyn based. Um, we'll have. I'm hoping we're going to get some copies of Design in Daba, which is oh, a, cool. yeah. a their food issue, which is out of South Africa. So it should be quite the, for for a pack rat like myself who's constantly trying to find the most rare books that yeah. are related to food and talk about, um, you know, like, for example, Design in Daba, there's a dialogue between Marian Nessel and Paola Antonelli, who is the design curator at MoMA. And I just love that, that sort of matchup where where someone, you know, two practitioners from completely different backgrounds are now chiming in about food system. Yeah. And aside from all these magazines, books on display, there are going to be author signings. There's going to be interaction past just listening, you know, to a panel. And there will be people there that I'm sure would be happy to interact with the general public. Um, I, I really feel like this is going to be an amazing um, kind of space for people to interact uh, to discuss uh, aside from just what's on schedule yes thank you yeah, yeah. and it's foodbookfair.com it is mm-hmm. and there are tickets available there are tickets available for the panels the author signings are free the bookstore is open it's it's all happening at a new hotel opening in williamsburg and that's on wife and north 12th across the street from brooklyn bowl brooklyn brewery and literally you'll walk in to the front door and that's where our author signings and our bookstore are appropriately in the library of the hotel. And then in the vent space is where all the panels will happen for all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Now, 
I remember there was like a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, oh no! Yeah, no, no, not oh no, but it <laughs> it certainly got the word out. Yes. You know, and um, how can people help the Food Book Fair? Because I want to see this as something that doesn't just happen this year. That you know continues on. Um, how can people volunteer their time, mm-hmm. um, donate their monies, their efforts? Absolutely. Yeah, we um, we did have a Kickstarter, and it, we were very ambitious, and um, we. Then downsized, and you know we're still quite large, actually. Yeah, this, <laughs> um, this we is have the over thing. yeah we have over fifty participants, and I would say the best way to support would be to come out and come to a panel and buy a ticket and come to a panel and really, um, you know, pick your favorite panel or come and see something that you maybe would never venture out to see before because there are some you know really fascinating people in town partly because it's the same weekend as the James Beard Awards and um, I would say that would be the best way and come also look at the bookstore and follow us online Um, follow our progression we hope to grow and um, you know perhaps happen um, in another city at some point soon just the beginning well I hope to see everyone there May 4th yes Um, and Fifth and sixth, uh, foodbookfair.com. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you so uh, much. On the way out, what's your favorite cookbook right now? Ooh, tough. Um, well, on my mind today, what is the recipe that uh, a chef, Mark Andrew Gravel, is coming? He's coming out with a book called Kill the Recipe, and he just. He's actually going to be cooking um, at a dinner um, during the fair. And so his book, Kill the Recipe, which I got a sneak peek at, I would say that's my favorite one. And it's about beans. It's like a how-to cookbook about heirloom awesome. beans. <laughs> yeah. Well, looking forward to that. And uh, and beans abound. Uh, foodbookfair.com. Check it out. Buy tickets. See the panels. Buy some books. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.